Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Welcome back to our series for 2023. That mic sounds a little hot. I don't know if Alex is back there to dial down the gain a hair, but sounds like it's on the edge. Uh, up until now, I've begun each of my messages by saying, as we walk through this year, we are focusing in on what took place in the life of Christ, His lifetime. Today, I will change that to as we have walked through this year. That's the, the path, perfect tense, I believe. I'm not an English major by any stretch, but I, I think that's what they call that. And nothing could be more past perfect than the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact, though, that this is a part of God's overall plan for, a, for humanity, one unified story of His love for us, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, or as I grew up hearing from Genesis to maps, because the Bibles that we had when I was young, like a Schofield reference Bible, they all had a section of maps in the back, and so the preachers used to say, it's true from Genesis to maps. I hope you leave today with a renewed sense of the oneness of God's plan for you and me. I want to start off with a question. This is what I want you to think about in the back of your mind as we go through the rest of our time together this morning. Are you who you want to be? Are you who you want to be? How you answer that question 24 minutes from now, well, maybe 30 minutes from now, will change how you live and feel 24 hours from now and for the rest of your life. Today we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus. Next week, Seth will look at Jesus in the book of Acts, and our series in the life of Christ will be concluded, but hopefully not its effect on your life. It certainly won't be on mine. After all, we have barely scratched the surface of Jesus' life. John in his gospel said this, There are so many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down, each of them, one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. I'll tell you this, one of the benefits of preaching and teaching is that the subject completely invades who you are, deep into your mind and into your soul and into your very being. So let's pray, but before we do, as always, I want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message, you can always go online to ffcsermons.org and catch up to one that you just missed or an earlier message in the series. You can download them as well or listen to your podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and watch again on YouTube or Facebook. Let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you haven't left us alone, that you've given us a comforter, you've given us the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, Father, as we await your return, as we await the return of Jesus to come back for us, his bride. We thank you that we have a hope unlike other men and that our hope is a sure thing. We thank you for all these things and ask for your blessing as we open your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Are you who you want to be? What does that have to do with the ascension of Jesus into heaven? Well, everything. Quite honestly, it's why he came, so that you can answer that question, and you can answer it in a way that is completely fulfilling and satisfying for what you were created to be. 
Now, when I ask that question, are you who you want to be, I'm not talking about your physical appearance. I'm not talking about how you look on the outside. It goes way deeper than that. I've been trying to change my physical appearance ever since I, ever since I got my midlife body. Well, maybe my early 30s body, if I'm being honest. Aaliyah, my oldest granddaughter, just uh, almost 15, said to me the other day, she said, Judge, that's Polish for grandfather, Zsa it just wouldn't be right if you were skinny. You've been fat all my life. <laughs> it would be weird, wouldn't it? Well, yesterday I made sure to have a large coffee, a large Dunkin' Donuts coffee with extra cream, no sugar, and coffee roll to make sure that I keep my full-figured body for my granddaughter intact. After all, I, I wouldn't want it to be weird. All the same, I've been trying to kill fat cells for years. And after many years, I have finally concluded brain cells die, skin cells die, even hair cells die, but fat cells. Fat cells seem to have found salvation because they seem to have eternal life. You just can't get rid of them. Now, I'm talking about something much deeper. I'm talking about knowing you are loved. I'm talking about finding love. I'm talking about finding someone who will always love you. I'm talking about finding someone who loved you before you even knew it. I'm talking about finding someone who made it his purpose to love you. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone that believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When I was just starting to, to date my lovely wife 42 years ago, way back in, in 1981, three years before we married, we were both just 18, just out of high school. And, and honestly, I don't know how I got her attention because she was and, and still is way out of my league. But I, that's, that's credit for later on. She's like, ah, don't you? She doesn't go for that. But I also knew that I didn't want to lose the opportunity to move our relationship forward. We had been dating for just three weeks when I called her up to test the waters. I mean, I was, I was being bold. I wanted to lay it all out there on the line. I said, I got to know, do you see this relationship possibly moving toward marriage? If it's not, I might have to move on. I said it was bold. I mean, it was either really bold or incredibly stupid or both. I'm not sure what. And as soon as I asked her, there was a pause on the other end of the phone. It seemed like a very long pause way back then. And when she finally broke the silence, she said, I will know, maybe. It's only been three weeks. And then there was a long pause on my end of the phone until I said, okay, I can work with that. I'll take it. Close enough to a yes for me. I'm talking about the kind of love that is even better. John in his first epistle said, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. John 15, 9, in his gospel, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. My wife and I have often argued about who chose who. This morning we're going to consider the ascension of Jesus Christ. He's going back to heaven. Acts 1 is where we read about Jesus' ascension. So let's read that. This is Luke writing to a man named Theophilus, and he says this. In my first letter, I told you 
about Jesus' life and teaching and how he returned to heaven after having given his chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, actually alive, and proved to them in many ways that it was really he himself they were seeing. And on these occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In one of these meetings, he told them not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them in fulfillment of the Father's promise, a matter he had previously discussed with them. John baptized you with water, he reminded them, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. And another time when he appeared to them, they asked him, Lord, are you going to free Israel from Rome now and restore us as an independent nation? The Father sets those dates, he replied, and they are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to testify about me with great effect. To the people in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth about my death and resurrection. It was not long afterwards that he rose into the sky and disappeared into a cloud, leaving them staring after him. And as they were straining their eyes for another glimpse, suddenly two white-robed men were standing there among them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has gone away to heaven, and someday, just as he went, he will return. I was going to title this message, Up, Up, and Away, because it reminded me of an old song that I knew titled that, but that's not really where I'm, I'm going with today's message, although it was a necessary part of the story. After all, without the resurrection, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, we would be of all men most miserable. Our faith would be futile. We'd still be in our sins. Better, if that's the case, that we just go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But he has risen. Amen? He has indeed. And he's given us proofs, just as Luke recorded in the first chapter of Acts that we just read. But that did not keep the disciples from getting worried. They were certainly expecting a coronation of a king of kings. That is what the Jews expected of Jesus, of what they expected of a Messiah. That's why they asked, Lord, are you going to free Israel from Rome now and restore us as an independent nation? It was, after all, exactly what the, had been foretold in the prophets. I mean, sure, there were some confusing elements about a Savior that was sacrificed, but surely those writings in the Old Testament by the prophets spoke of someone else. You can hardly be both a conquering king and a suffering savior. Or can you? And yet recently, with his disciples before his arrest and death, Jesus had been talking with the disciples about his dying and rising back to life after three days. But this didn't fit their plans. Jesus was meant to be their ticket out from under the current rule. He was meant to lead a revolution that would be unstoppable. And indeed, he did. Yet in just a short time after Jesus' arrest, all they knew would be changed forever. Jesus could see their discomfort when he was letting them know what was going to happen. It's what Seth talked about last week, Jesus' arrest and death. He could see their dismay at this turn of events, so to calm them, he talked to them again of the future. The future for those who believe in him. It was perhaps the most comforting promise and it went like this. And this is what I want to focus in on this morning from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Don't let this rattle you. 
You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my Father's house. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I am on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And you already know the road that I am taking. Why does Jesus insist on talking in riddles? Things that don't seem to... What's he talking about? There's lots of room in my father's house. I go to get a room ready for you. Is he going to change the sheets, new pillowcases? What's he talking about? I'll come back and get you. How is this comforting? Were the disciples supposed to go, Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I totally get it now. I, I know where you're going. Is that what happened? No, not at all. When Jesus said, you already know the road I'm taking, or in the NIV, you know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas piped up and he said, uh, no, we don't. No, we don't. Not a clue. We haven't any idea where you're going or what you're talking about. So how can we know the way? But they should have. Because Jesus was referring to the Jewish marriage custom of the day. So before we go any further into this, we need to, to look in depth at the Jewish marriage customs. Because if we don't, we won't grasp the full power of this amazing promise that Jesus is giving to them. Jesus was drawing an analogy from the Jewish marriage customs of biblical times when he spoke this promise to his disciples. The first major step in Jewish marriage customs is the betrothal. Betrothal began with the establishment of a covenant. By Jesus' time, it was the usual practice for the prospective bridegroom to take the initiative. During biblical times, a young man who wanted to marry would go with his father to the chosen woman's house to meet her and her father. They'd negotiate a steep bride price, the money or physical items that the woman's father would ask for in exchange for his giving up his valuable daughter. The girl would then be brought in and sat down in a room in front of the entire family. Then the young man's father would hand the son a cup of wine. The son, in turn, would offer it to the woman and say, This cup I offer you. In effect, he was saying, I love you. I offer my life for you. Will you marry me? If she drank, sealing their engagement, she accepted his offer and gave him hers. If not, she simply declined. Once accepted, the bridegroom would pay the agreed-upon price and the marriage covenant was established and the couple were regarded to be husband and wife. From this point on, the bride would be considered consecrated, set apart exclusively for her bridegroom. As the symbol or mark of the covenant relationship, the bride and groom would drink from a cup of wine over which a betrothal benediction had been spoken. The girl would go off to her home. The boy would go off to his father's house where he'd start adding a room onto his father's house. Bells should be going off in your head as you make the connection to this practice and what Christ has done for us, his bride. Now they are not allowed to see each other during this time. The bridegroom can send the best man to communicate on his behalf. More bells should be going off in your head. The groom busies himself by preparing living accommodations in his father's house, which would in turn be used by his bride. At some point, the boy's father would look at him and say, okay, son, you're done building. You can gather up your groomsmen and go get your bride and bring them back to the wedding feast. And when the work was done, 
the end of the period of separation over, the groom would come to take his bride. This usually took place at night and would involve the groom, the best man, and other male escorts leaving the father's house and form a torchline procession to the bride's home. Although the bride expected her groom to come to her, she did not know the exact time that he would arrive. Therefore, the groom's arrival would be preceded by a shout. This would warn the bride to get ready because the groom was coming. For those of you who know the scriptures well, bells and whistles should be going off of your head like crazy as you make all the connections to the scripture that you know and how they fit into this beautiful and amazing story. After the groom received to him the bride and all of her female attendants with her, the entire wedding party would return home to the groom's father's house. Let me pause right there and share some scriptures that Paul writes to the Ephesians and Thessalonians. First, we are the bride of Christ, you and I. He came to offer his life as the steep price, the steep bride price for you and I, so that we could be his and he could be ours. Ephesians 5 says, And you husbands, show the same kind of love to your wives as Christ showed to the church when he died for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's word so that he could give her to himself as a glorious church without a single spot or wrinkle or any blemish, being holy and without a single fault. Did you accept his marriage offer or did you reject it? Are you waiting for him to return or did you reject that offer? If you did accept it, then you are waiting to hear the shout of his return to take you to the Father's house, to the room that he has been preparing for you and I. Paul told the Thessalonians, I can tell you this directly from the Lord, that we who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in the graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout, with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and great trumpet call of God. There it is. There's the shout that the bridegroom is coming. Are you waiting for it? Are you getting ready for it? And the believers who are dead will first rise to meet the Lord. Then we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with this news. I hope and pray that you are among the waiting. Back to the wedding story that Jesus is using as a backdrop. Once they arrived back at the Father's house, they'd find the wedding guests were already assembled not long after their arrival, other members of the bridal party would escort the bride and groom to the bridal chamber, where they would stay for seven days consummating the marriage. After the marriage was consummated, the groom would make the big announcement to the whole party, to the other members waiting outside the chamber. The other members of the waiting party would pass the news on of the marital union to the wedding guests. Following the good news, the wedding guests would feast and have a smashing good time for the next seven days. Wedding celebrations are fun, aren't they? Evelyn, my six-year-old granddaughter, had such a good time at Travis and Ashley's wedding that when it was over, she went up to Ashley and said, can you get married next week too? I'd like to come back for another party. The girl, she never left the dance floor, danced the night away. During those seven days, the bride remained hidden in the bridal chamber. When the seven days concluded, he would come out. The time, uh, the veil would be removed and he would show off his bride. Here it is, Jesus left his father's house in heaven to come to earth. The home of his prospective bride, the church, 
over 2,000 years ago from heaven to earth. He came to earth to establish a marriage covenant through which he could obtain the church. You and I. It was bold. In fact, on the very same night of the Last Supper, he made this very promise, signified with a cup of wine, offered to the disciples, the first to drink of that cup. Jesus takes his disciples and he sits them down in a room with a cup of wine and he says, this is my covenant. This is my marriage commitment to you. Take it. Drink. I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my Father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But don't worry. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my best man to communicate on my behalf. Faith Fellowship, who is that best man? Jesus and his Holy Spirit. He left his Holy Spirit here with us to come in, to comfort us, to indwell us, to speak to us while he's gone. At some point, God the Father will look at the Son and say, Okay, Son, go get your bride. Come on, Jesus. We're waiting. We don't want to wait any longer. Remember, only the Father knows the time. Jesus is going to gather up his groomsmen, gather up the angels, blow the ram's horn, blow the, the shofar, and he's going to come and get his bride. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. Amen? Next week when we take communion, it's not just do this in remembrance of me and then forget about it. It's saying you were bought with a price. You are the bride of Christ, paid for with the blood of Christ, the groom himself. Just as the Jewish groom would pay a price to purchase his bride, Jesus paid a price for the church. The price was high and then it was his own death. He spilled lifeblood, was the price for his bride, for you and for me. And as a result, we are sanctified. Just like the Jewish bride was sanctified, set apart for her groom when the marriage covenant was established. The church has also been set apart, exclusively sanctified for Christ alone. Are we living in expectation of his return? Remember, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit. Fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. And when we get there, to the Father's house, the wedding guests will already be there waiting. All the Old Testament saints that have been waiting for that glorious day. That's just awesome. We will finally be in full union with Christ in every possible way. What a promise. Don't let this rattle you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my Father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm taking. Can you begin to imagine how much this analogy meant to his disciples once they understood it? It means much to us today as well. Now, I ask you at the beginning of the message to be thinking about a question. Are you who you want to be? Are you who you want to be? How you have answered that question, how you answer it now, will change how you live and feel for the rest of your life. Rob and Jess, you can make your way up. John Foreman, front man for the band Switchfoot, wrote a song titled 24 Hours that Rob and Jessica and Joe are going to perform for us in a minute. 
John had this to say about the song in a radio interview. He said, there's 24 hours in a day. For me, I feel that there are a lot of things inside my heart that are political. I feel like there are a lot of different parties that are vying for decisions on different proposals. And for example, any decision in our lives, whether it's moral or not, there's a million different ways we can respond. I could slap your thing, talking about a cassette recorder, out the window or punch you in the face. There's a lot of things I could do right now. And there are all these things bouncing through my head. 24 is about wanting to be united into one person. It talks about, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. All of who you are, that's integrity. That's what 24 is about. Robin, Jess, and Joe are going to perform this, and then I'll come back up afterwards for a few more words. Twenty-four oceans Twenty-four skies Twenty-four failures Twenty-four tries Twenty-four finds me In twenty-fourth place With twenty-four dropouts at the end of the day Life is not what I thought it was 24 hours ago Still I'm singing Spirit, take me up in arms with you And I'm not who I thought I was 24 ago still I'm singing spirit take me up in arms with you 24 reasons to admit that I'm wrong with all my excuses still 24 strong Singing spirit, take me up in arms. 
lifted me. Oh, 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 I am the second man. Oh, 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 I am the second man now. Oh, oh, I am the second man now. And you're raising the dead me. proposal to be one with him to be centered and true are you who you want to be he offered his life to pay the price for you he died for you he resurrected for you he ascended for you and if you are his bride if you accept his offer he's preparing a place for you and he's coming again <clears throat> for you he's not copping out on you he's been waiting your whole life for you to say yes don't cop out on him accepting his proposal is as simply as saying lord i know i'm not worthy of you but i know you died for me so that for the rest of my life i can be yours and you can be mine i can finally know peace of mind body and soul centered and true pray that prayer and your life will be different from this moment on faith fellowship Know that God is for you, not against you. Have a good day in Jesus. Amen.